This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE, for 20% off your order. You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode 198. In this episode, I got to hang out with Michaela Bohm. She's a psychologist and really dives into connection and intimacy and sexuality. We were chatting about what that looks like in parenthood and things like... (laughs) is six weeks realistic ever? Or what does it look like to connect with someone when you're exhausted and it's the end of the day and you've had another human on your body all day long? This episode was so requested and she is, Michaela is incredible. I love this episode and loved this conversation with her. I'm so excited to bring it to you today. Before we dive in, I wanted to let you know we have a special bonus for anyone who purchases our sleep course right now, gets our sleep regression bonus to guide you through what is going on and how to support sleep regressions. Head on over to seedandso.org to sign up for the sleep class that's right for you. We have them broken down by ages, a newborn class, a five to 23 month class, and two to five years. Whichever class you purchase right now, you get access to our bonus. Don't sleep on this. Head on over to seedandso.org to snag your sleep class today. All right, folks, let's dive in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, Alyssa Blass Campbell. Hey everyone, welcome to Voices of Your Village. Today I'm here for a very requested episode, predominantly from the moms in our village here, about how to connect with a partner and what intimacy looks like uh, after kids or when you're in parenthood. And I get to hang out with Michaela Bohm today. Hey Michaela, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Happy to be here. I'm doing well. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for sharing your time with us. Thanks for having me. Totally. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and kind of what brings you here? Yeah. Um, Well, there's lots to my background, but I'll try and boil it down to a few sentences. Um, I work on the intersection of relationship, sexuality, and the body. So I'm specifically uh, driven by the quest to give people information in the realms of relationship uh, you know how their body works, how to connect with your own body, uh, both in the feeling domain and the sexual domain, sensual domain, so that that can be brought uh, to relationship. And I have a, a background that spans uh, trained as a psychologist, uh, worked in drug and alcohol rehab, um, have extensive training in the yogic arts, meaning um, you know tantra. Um, internal, external body work, things of that nature. 
I'm actually the holder of a very specific women's lineage that has to do with embodiment and the orientation towards devotion is, is one way of saying it. Um, and I've done over 40,000 one-on-one client hours in my career so far, probably by now close to 42. And so I've worked with uh, women and couples and as well as men by themselves in the field of relationship, sexuality, uh, human connection. And so I travel internationally between Australia, the US, Europe, and the UK all year long. And uh, I'm based in Ojai, California, which is north of Los Angeles, uh, between the coast and the inland. And I think that's it. <laughs> that's awesome. I, we were just saying before we popped on, it's snowing here and yeah. very much not snowing there. And I was feeling mm, a little jealous. <laughs> very much not snowing here. It's still probably, I want to say, 75, 80 oh. degrees during the day. And then it goes down to... 40 45 at night so i'll take that 45 at night i know (laughs) (laughs) all right so i put out a call to villagers when we found out we were having you on and gonna have this conversation to ask them like what specifically did they want more tools on what do they want more information on and so i have a list of questions that i want to kind of fire at you as we go here um but the biggest thing that I heard from folks was about a, really like a lack of libido. And they, a lot of folks were like, I don't know if it's because I'm so tired because I'm a mom and just nonstop going, or that I'm giving of myself all day long to another human. Um, but this lack of like desire for intimacy and connection with their partner, what seems like at the end of the day is when they're usually it's the two of them. Uh, so yeah. can you speak to that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's something really, really important to be said before we even get started. And that is that we live in a time where very unrealistic expectations are placed on new parents, men and women alike, right? And um, that comes from a culture that shows only the best on Instagram or, you know, like the, the people who live vicariously in some fantasy world on Facebook, fantasy world of their own doing. And also the assumption that as women, Um, In addition to the traditional roles that we still have to do because only one gender can grow a baby so far, um, you know, we we also get to do all the other things. And that's a huge privilege, but it's also a bit of a burden because um, while we are expected and and, um, also, um, you know, essentially supported in many ways to do all the things that can be done out there in the world, we are still carrying the burden of, you know, monthly periods and um, mood swings and, uh, you know, pregnancy or the lack thereof. And then uh, childbirth and, you know, all the horrible options that are available. They are horrible and good, but, you know, and then um, there's very little time given, particularly in the States, unfortunately, um, of uh, postpartum and, Uh, becoming a new parent and becoming um, a different, like you said, a different human being who suddenly feeds a a person from their body, right? I mean, when you really step back for a moment and you can consider the enormity of growing an entire human in your body and then popping that human out, you know, through an impossibly small opening (laughs) (laughs) and then feeding that human from your very own body while your body does all kinds of weird stuff, right? Uh, That the need to then immediately be back to sexy um, time, you know, and, and, and great erotic enjoyment between two partners is an unrealistic expectation. So that said, uh, of course, as human beings and um, as beings outside of the parental realm, we do want that excitement and we do want that engagement. And um, it's very, very important for couples raising children to have intimacy um, of, uh, you know, when I say sexual nature, I don't necessarily talk intercourse only. Um, I talk the kind of sensual connection and erotic enjoyment 
of a person that you're with. And, it, you know, there's a health benefit to it, a relational benefit to it, um, a kind of overall self-esteem benefit to it. And so on one end, we are oversold the idea that we have to go back to having great sex right after, you know, childbirth, essentially, the moment the doctor allows. And um, on the other end, we do want certain things. And a lot of people I've worked with really um, grieve that part of their lives being gone. Right? So um, that all said, <laughs> this was a long build up to what I'm going to say next, which is there is different components to why it usually doesn't happen after, uh, immediately after. You know? So one component is um, the time uh, in the relationship. I'm actually going to spell them all out and then, um, you know, go one after the other. So there's the time that people have spent in the relationship. Um, there is hormonal and bodily changes, right, that just come with that. Uh, then there is, of course, sleep deprivation <laughs> and, um, you know, and being a new parent. And then there's also a um, change in, uh, let's say, attitude towards oneself and the partner, you know. And then there's just the stress of regular life. Yeah. Right. Uh, which is always there. Right. You know? So what that, so I'm going to unpack them a bit, right? So the obvious ones, the ones that are fairly easy to understand, right, is that, um, well, let me say a few things in the bigger picture and then we slot these things in. So how a human body works, of course, is that pleasure and arousal and libido and general connection come from us feeling our bodies, mm -hmm. right? If you can't feel what's happening in your body, you're not feeling pleasure or pain. You're just numb to varying degrees, right? So numbness comes from overwhelm. Uh, it comes from stress. It comes from uh, old or uh, just happened trauma or, or injury or, uh, you know, trauma is a, I'm using it in the widest sense. Something happened that made yeah. it so the body has a, you know, traumatic experience. That could be childbirth, that could be an accident, that could be uh, childhood sexual abuse and everything in between. Yeah. So um, th those things, all these things reduce our ability to feel our body. The less we feel our body, the less we feel pleasure, the less we feel alive, the less intuition and connection with ourselves we have, and the less libido there is. Right? So for most human beings in this time and age, unless you live out in the woods and you have really good discipline around social media and computer access and you don't have a TV, right? for most of us, overwhelm is uh, extreme. Mm -hmm. And uh, purely on an endocrine level, um, that kind of overwhelm and you know, light pollution and sound pollution and all of those kind of things um, affect the adrenals and the adrenals of course produce most of the reproductive hormones uh, which most people don't know right that a, a large portion of what drives our uh, uh, sexual health hormones uh, comes via the adrenals so your adrenals are compromised and so on and so on so most people's ha most people have the overwhelm the stress some trauma um, to begin with so those are libido killers now at um, the aftermath of birth, uh, trying to be a new parent or having a second child on top of a toddler or things of that nature, right? And um, not sleeping. And of course, also then uh, hormones, right? postpartum anxiety, uh, postpartum depression, all of those kind of things. Yeah, you're not going to feel like it. Right. Right? Yeah. And I don't think... In, in the first, let's say, year or two, right, that's really an issue unless, of course, that's an issue in the partnership, mm -hmm. 
right? Because if if one person just is really struggling with that and the other person wants sex all the time, that's a problem in itself, right? But when two people enter a new um, segment of their life, I think uh, knowing that things are just not going to be like they were before um, and giving oneself a bit of permission to maybe not expect everything from uh, oneself um, of course, that's the, how, that's the thing that you want in the first place. It reduces stress and pressure and tension, and then that ups the libido. You know? Right, right, right. That, it's a cycle. It's, it's the cycle. I mean, it's totally counterintuitive to go, okay, well, we're going to take our hands off for a period of time so that we can actually relax a bit and um, put our attention where our attention should go, which is dealing with a child, right? Mm -hmm. So. Um, other factors that play into uh, decreased libido, other than, of course, the endocrine stress trauma um, area, is how much time uh, people have already been in a relationship. So another uh, way of saying that is after the honeymoon period is over, right? Most people know what that means. <laughs> the... Yeah. Um, willingness or the excitement to connect with that person is diminished. And there's a reason for that. And the reason for that, and that's really, really important to understand at any moment in the relationship. The reason for that is that long-term, functional, successful relationship is built on sameness. So, the more you have in common. So commonality is the number one factor for successful long-term relationship. And okay. so when people have things in common, and that's common values, common goals, common ideas about child uh, rearing, mm -hmm. uh, religion, money, um, you know, a vegetarian or a vegan and a, and a meat eater don't mix, you know, like, so, so yeah. the more you have in common, the more interests you have in common, the more friends and social network you have in common, the better your relationship because relationship uh, is built on sameness, right? So if we would meet somewhere in a, in a restaurant or so in a cafe for the first time, the first thing we would do, and even we do it on the phone, right, is we establish common ground, mm. right? Um, we both like your tin roof there. It's beautiful, right. right? And we both like um, old houses with beautiful wood um, trimmings, right? So immediately there we have something in common and that connects us and that builds our relationship. Mm -hmm. So when people have been together for a while the um, and it's a good relationship, they have established patterns of communication. They have an understanding. They have joint friends. They live together. They do joint activities. They have routines. That makes uh, it very easy to pull on the same side of the rope. Now, sexual attraction, the erotic spark, right? The, 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 the kind of, you know, exciting spark yeah. uh, between two people is based on them being very opposite. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for Mila Bean, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash voices. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? 
My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests, too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. The old catch-22. That's right. (laughs) Opposites attract sexually. And uh, what is it? Birds of a feather stick together relationally. So that is a catch-22 unless you know what to do. And so here's the good news. The good news is it's much, much harder to find somebody with whom you want to have common ground and establish the the common ground than it is to create erotic attraction. That's just mechanics, right? That's great news. Yes, it's really great news. And and the thing is, we don't know that because it all gets muddled together. Often people, when they no longer have great desire for each other, they think their relationship is over. But really, it's a sign that they probably have gotten good, um, you know, good commonality going, but they're just not that excited about, you know, getting it on, so to speak. And that can be fixed, right? So... The first thing that I listed was at the time spent in the relationship, if you're over a specific amount of time, you have probably fallen into the rut of the commonality and the sitting on the sofa together and cuddling, mm-hmm. but you just don't feel super sexual, right? And there is not really a problem with that per se, except that um, over time, the not having the sexual desire erodes you know, certain things in yourself and in the relationship. But that can be fixed, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But when people decide to have children, often it's the moment in time, if it's a healthy decision, right? Sometimes you just get pregnant, and sometimes you get pregnant to fix the relationship, and that's never a good idea, but done very frequently. Uh, But if you, if you feel it's the right moment in time to have children, you start trying and it happens, it's usually at a moment in time where uh, the relational patterns are such that you get along great and it's just not that exciting anymore right? mm-hmm. sexually. But nonetheless, you manage to make a baby, you know, <laughs> so it, there's yeah. still something going on sexually. <laughs> and then comes that thing where, of course, other things take precedent and the skills needed to make it exciting are not there and they become the secondary or tertiary thing over, um, you know, having a pregnancy and figuring out how to raise a baby and, you know, all of those kind of things. Totally. Or just yeah. choosing sleep over sex any that's night of the week. That's exactly. Because sometimes that's just the way you have to do it. Yeah, yeah. So the next one was bodily bodily changes and changes, you know, that's pretty clear that that is just what happens. You're um, going to have suppressed sexual urge as long as you breastfeed. You know, there's like all kinds of science behind why certain things don't come online. Because, of course, when we didn't have birth control yet and lived in the wild and things like that, if you were pregnant again and you stopped uh, being able to breastfeed your younger child immediately, the chances of survival for that infant were pretty small, right? Mm-hmm. So there's, there's mechanisms that down-regulate these things so that um, you give every child maximum chance of survival. And our bodies don't know that now we can supplement and there's formulas and, you know, all those kinds of things. (laughs) So there's that. Um, Then, as I said, sleep deprivation and being a new parent plays a huge role because your attention is just not there. It's somewhere else. And within that, of course, like as you said, you're supposed to have sex after you've done everything else. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's hugely unrealistic, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, you, you, it's just when you're a new parent or even when you're just really busy, it's not the time to have sex. Yeah. yeah but so what course, is that? 
so what does that connection look like then? How do you, I guess you, you outlined earlier, like a year to two years of like not really expecting it to be back in, in like a normal swing, if you will. Yeah. Um, no, the, the, these are gross uh, generalization, right? Some totally. people immediately get back into it and some people never were really into it that much. Uh-huh. But, but what it looks like is that you find other ways to keep that erotic engagement alive that are not dependent on the actual intercourse or dependent on your libido because you're probably not going to have much of either. And so if you wait for, you know, what do they say? When it's hot, it's hot. When it's not, it's not. When you you apply that principle to your sex life, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah. So we had a lot of questions about this essentially of like, how do we keep intimacy alive? How do I create intimacy when I don't feel like it? And I, I think folks were starting to also allude to in some of these questions, like how do we have intimacy without me having sex because I don't want to have sex? Right. Exactly. All of which is valid. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of which is important to address once again, because if you force yourself to do things that just creates long time, long term trouble, right? Versus mm-hmm. short term trouble. Um, and I'll go there in a second. I just want to finish the, the last yeah. point that I made, totally. which is the changing attitude towards yourself. Uh-huh. And so I've heard often from women that once they've had a baby and once they've experienced that kind of connection to another human being, everything else becomes somewhat secondary, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that you don't want to have a partner. It's not that you don't want to have a great sex life, but it's, it takes a different, different importance temporarily or permanently. And a lot of women I've worked with, you know, they don't know where to put breastfeeding with sex and, uh, you know, essentially um, breasts who were uh, utilized for pleasure are some, you know, sexual pleasure are now utilized for feeding a child. And that's of course, uh, you know, not something that you connect with sex. And even though you had sex to make the baby, but you know, it's like, it gets very, very complicated. So the changing attitude in oneself, I think is um, very important to understand and I think there also has to be a certain kind of an honesty with the fact that things do change, right? And they change again when you become menopausal or when, you know, when the testosterone goes down and men are no longer waking up with a raging erection in the morning and you know, <laughs> things of that nature. That's usually a very hard moment for most guys. Uh, no pun intended here. <laughs> <laughs> That was an unintended pun. Um, I'm here for it. (laughs) So, you know, those are are tough, tough moments in time. So how do you build intimacy and connection uh, regardless of your sexual um, drive or the obvious horniness that that people describe in their 20s? And how is it disconnected from actually having intercourse? Well, that's, it's a very individual um, exploration, but here are some of the, um, you know, general guidelines. So intimacy in itself isn't necessarily sexually in nature, right? Intimacy in itself uh, goes through a series of steps, and the first steps is always intimacy with ourselves, right? Coming back to our bodies and to our original nature, so to speak, meaning the parts of us that are connected to nature. And uh, post-childbirth and post-parenthood, that becomes sometimes a bit more accessible because you've actually witnessed um, you know, the force of nature that is human beings making a child. Right? For them, this is true for both men and women. I've heard many, many men look at their child and go, this is my, you know, like gene pool. I made this kid. And it's really quite awesome if you stop and consider that for a totally. moment. Right? So you are a little bit more connected to the force of nature, right? And, uh, and our original connection with the natural world. And so intimacy starts there with kind of remembering we have a body, remembering that we are essentially creatures of the natural world. And from there, when we can feel our own body, we can feel another person's body. 
And once you can feel another person's body, um, meaning you can look at your partner and you can see where they're tensed or you can feel where they're sad or whatever it is, right? Then you can, with some intelligence of the body, connect. And so that intimacy doesn't necessarily have to be sexual, but it could be being together and just uh, looking into each other's eyes. Most people don't do that. Yeah, it's vulnerable. Right? It's vulnerable, right? But in that vulnerability lies, of course, something that is the beginning of a sexual spark. Um, and when you think about, you know, exciting sexual experiences, they usually have to do with that feeling of a little bit exposure and being out on the skinny branches, right? So if nothing else, if people are really tired, they could just face each other in bed and just look at each other for a moment and just really actually look or lay together, spoon together and breathe together, right? Just feel each other's breath. Don't have to synchronize the breath necessarily, just even though that happens naturally mm -hmm. often. Uh, and just allow for the contact to be not casual, but um, intentional. And that's sometimes all it takes, interestingly enough, is when you go, okay, you know, we have five minutes. Let's just look at each other. Let's just talk for a moment. One of my favorite go-to remedies for that level of disconnection is when the kids are in bed finally before people go to bed to just sit on the sofa across from each other and uh, touch and massage each other's feet while they debrief their day because then it's not just talking and complaining it's actually a physical uh, touch and what's very important is that both partners understand that just because they're connecting and just because they're touching that doesn't necessarily mean they immediately need to get it on now right because you know nobody wants that Totally. And I think that that's like a, a misconception, I would say, um, that I've for sure seen in hetero relationships of this idea that like, that I hear from moms often is that dad just wants to have sex. And almost that he doesn't seem to care if she wants to or not. And I just don't think that that's true. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know, maybe you could speak to this, but like, I think even personally, like Zach would rather us connect on another level or in another way where we're both there together than us having sex just because he wanted to have sex when I don't want to. Yes. Yes. Well, there's a, I mean, this is a whole other bag of, you know, the, well, a can of worms, I should say, yeah. because often how we get into relationship as women, once again, these are all broad generalizations yeah. and i want to make this very clear i'm just speaking to general trends and every yeah. person has to fill in their personal stuff but often when we get into a relationship uh, we're quite hypersexual and very excited and it's all about the experimentation and the getting it on and and that's the time you spend together and you're really close right and so within that um often men are very confused because they get to learn and understand that that's the way that they can really connect with their partner. And everybody's really excited about that. And then that's no longer the case. And, but nothing else has been offered, right? Because it is like you said about the depth of connection and the um, having time for each other. And a lot of people, um, you know, and a lot of men uh, that I've spoken to, well, that's the one time the phone isn't on. It's the mm -hmm. one time that nothing else is required. That's the one time the door gets locked. And so they equate sex with a private moment between two adults, right? Yeah. And I think that's really, really important to understand. It's not the sex in itself for many men, even though that's nice and pleasurable. It's that it's the one time nobody walks in the room, right? right? And it's the one time they are, um, they are, that your attention isn't uh, diverted. So that's the, that's the thing behind it. When you give that, the undivided attention, even for five minutes with mm -hmm. not being on the phone, with not screaming at the kids outside the door or whatever there is, then it becomes, it writes itself again. Right? Yeah. And 
that's really, really important. And then the other thing to consider in this is that when you look at it from a purely biological standpoint, right, we're talking just biology, not sexual orientation, not, uh, you know, some gender specific um, behavior, but from a biological standpoint, um, whoever ejaculates, right, in, the, in mammals um, tends to uh, want to ejaculate when very stressed. Mm -hmm. because from a survival standpoint, if war, famine, or neighboring tribes show up, uh, you might die. And so death and with that high stress, right, is connected with um, ejaculation, depositing your, your genetic code before you potentially die, right? Yeah. So uh, that's why a lot of men use masturbation for stress relief. That makes total sense. You know, while when you're a woman, when the going gets tough, the thing you have to do is maintain ovulation, maintain breastfeeding, maintain pregnancy, mm -hmm. right? So what that means is you have to maintain body fat. How do you maintain body fat in the wild? When there isn't much, you eat all the carbs you can possibly get. Right, exactly. Yep, exactly. yep for sure. Yeah, Hands up. Sure, right? and, that, yeah. and so because that is what grants us survival on the species level, right? Yeah. So women in general, biological women, you know, tend, depending, it doesn't matter what orientation you have, uh, tend towards stress eating or stress shopping nowadays where stress eating isn't as uh, uh, okay anymore, right? Now people amass you know, stuff totally. around them. But, uh, and, and men, biological men, tend towards stress relief through mas masturbation or ejaculation. So um, what you then often see in couples is that um, while the woman just wants comfort in the situation of the high stress, the man wants to connect in that way and release the stress. And so I, do, I would agree with you that I don't think men just want to have sex. I think it's connected with uh, a certain goodness and a certain expectation of closeness and comfort and relaxation that makes it that that's the first go-to response and often a go-to response that's been programmed early in the relationship. Yeah, that's so interesting. I had never thought about the fact that so often it is probably the only time that they have their partner's attention without a screen, with a locked door, with whatever. And so then that's what it becomes, right? Yes. Like, right. Oh, that's so interesting. And so then that, that get, leads us back to the question, how do you establish intimacy? Well, you lock the door, you turn the phone off, you mm -hmm. turn towards your partner, you touch, you connect, you look at each other, you speak with each other. Um, and that goes a long way. A totally. Long way. Right. Actually, a few years ago, we I woke up one morning, we had our phones in our room, and I woke up and I was on my phone on like a Saturday morning, scrolling, and I usually wake up before Zach does, and I was on Instagram, and I he liked one of my photos, and we were laying in bed together, and I didn't even know he was awake, and I was like, oh my word, this is absurd, and so like that day forward, we were like, no phones in the bedroom, and so we don't keep them in our bedroom at all anymore, and it's uh, please things are not perfect over here but it was a game changer for just being together yeah. when we're in a bedroom yeah i think one of the the most radical things you can do for yourself is get an analog clock get mm -hmm. an analog alarm clock and ban your devices from the bedroom right because yeah. um and and it's you know it Everything else, all the fancy sex, tri uh, sex tricks, all the, you know, 10 steps to the perfect orgasm mean nothing if you can't connect, right? Yeah. Because that's where it starts. And so the other thing that goes along those lines, and that's particularly important for parents, new or otherwise, for parents or people who run a business together, and or, or both, is that you become extremely... Um, how should I say this? Extremely disciplined in delineating your activities. Mm. 
And so what I mean by that is when one lives a life together and then there's kids involved and dogs and, you know, whatever, it tends to be that all communications are everything, right? And you're constantly mixing together logistics, things to do, reports of stress and discomfort with the positive stuff and the romantic stuff. And that's lethal for the sexual attraction more than anything else. And what that means essentially is that um, let's just say you want to have a romantic evening and you've got a babysitter and now you're on the way to the restaurant and all the way to the restaurant, you talk about um, milk needing to be picked up and the dog food and the doctor's appointment and should that kid have braces or not. It's not sexy. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to be conducive. And most people are so stuck in that pattern. They can't have a romantic evening if they try it <laughs> because they sit together and they don't have anything to talk about anymore other than the things they have in common. Right. Yeah. And other than the things that are that are counterproductive to the sexual engagement. And so the main trick here is that you reserve some time to be different. That creates the erotic attraction again. And being different in the, in the um, realm of couples means that you have interests that are not shared, that you can share with your partner uh, as an interesting thing, right? You read things, you report them. You go somewhere with your friends, you report on that. You read an interesting article, and instead of emailing it over, you actually talk about it at some point where you it's just the two of you. And you create kind of an artificial difference in the two people that makes it interesting again. Right. Which is, by the way, why all the old tricks that people talk about do work right um the guys going bowling or whatever race car driving the ladies you know in the olden days in the 60s and 70s tupperware parties and you know weird stuff that that we look at kind of what was that but it worked because the the people went outside their homes did something else came back together and it was a fresh moment yeah Nowadays, I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of TILT is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the TILT Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. It's, uh, it's so interesting. I, um, I run like a retreat weekend called Mama's Getaway Weekend, and it's just for moms. Mm -hmm. And one of the ones we did afterward Two of the moms had known each other going into it, were friends. As afterward, the dads of that of those two yeah. 
had dinner together and they were both like, they can go to mama's getaway anytime. Like <laughs> they both came back like refreshed and ready to dive in and whatever. But it is, I think it's the, it's also so hard. I get so many moms who are like, oh, I'd love to come, but I can't get away for the weekend or I couldn't get away for the night. And I think it's something that I don't, I think that we, for sure, for some folks, it's like financial, et cetera. But for other folks, I think it's this choice of like not feeling like you're allowed to get away. Exactly. And that's important. Once you make the decision that you want your relationship to stay alive, mm-hmm beyond staying together for the kids, right? Then you will make certain things happen. And, 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 you know, it doesn't have to even be a weekend retreat. It's like one evening a week, you go and do something that's neither job-related nor child-related, but that's for you. And ever so often, one person gets to just zone out for half an hour or an hour. One of the things that I sometimes talk about, some people have heard me talk about this because it's something that um, I uh, was very much uh, formed by, is that my parents had a a very strong rule around um, my father coming home from work. And uh, I never understood it till, of course, much later when I was in this business, right? And I have such um, appreciation and and I'm quite in awe about my parents having figured this out because it made such a huge difference. And what it was was that my dad had a very stressful job and then he had a commute, about a 20, 25 minute commute on top of a very stressful job. And he had two small children, two small girls at home who were a handful, if I may say so myself. <laughs> and uh, my mother, who uh, was a stay at home mom, who essentially probably was about to go crazy by the time you know he came home and so they had a routine where he would come home he w- and he you know we would hear his car pull into the driveway and we'd be at the door and greet him um over the years in various ways right and then he would greet us but then he would go into my parents bedroom and close the door and there was no access to my father for uh, I think first it was half an hour and later it was an hour when we were a bit older. And and as he got older as well and more stressed. And what that did was that he had a, a transition between, you know, a very, very stressful job and drive and having to just hop in immediately. Now, anyone who's ever had children, of course, knows that that was a huge sacrifice on my mother's and yeah, because um, I hear it all the time that it's like, oh God, glad you're home. Take them, right? <laughs> but uh, it was so important because that way he could step down, he could relax. It also gave my mother and him a chance to connect because she'd go in there, he'd you know change, have a shower, then he'd read his mail. This was pre-internet, so mm-hmm. um, you know he'd read a magazine or a newspaper. And she would come in and they would chat and she would catch him up on my bad grades often. Um, I really sucked at math in my early, <laughs> I got really good at math in my later years, but I really sucked at math <laughs> early years. So there was always some drama with the math teacher um, who later it turned out was a raging alcoholic and very horrible, but we oh, didn't no. know that. We just thought I was really bad at math. But so, you know, th- that was reported on a regular basis to my father, but in a way where he could step down. And then when that was done, he kind of stepped back in and took over. Yeah. And, um, we'd ha- you know, he'd hang out with us, he'd play with us, he'd talk with us. Uh, he took us kind of off my mother's hands for a bit Uh, And then we had a meal and then he took us to bed. Like he would tuck us in and read us a story or check on us as we were older. And then they, then they had some time and my mother would spend some time alone. So I'm saying this to say that's um, a very, very good arrangement. And uh, to illustrate that my parents have now been married over 50 years, I think 53 Mm -hmm. this year. And they still have kind of a very sexually polarized and alive relationship because they figured out what each person needed. Mm-hmm. So it could be the other way around, right? Uh, it might, it, but 
what has to happen is people have to spend some time regenerating by themselves before they are forced to re-engage again and again and again because it creates a really bad precedent. Yeah, totally. And I, I like what you pointed out too at the end there that like it's figuring out what it is for each individual and that I I was teaching at one point uh, in a toddler classroom and I had a mom who would do pickup and every day when she would come to pick up, we could see, I could see her car sitting out front and she would pull up and she would sit for five minutes, no phone, nothing. She would just sit and have time to herself before she left work and transitioned to like, all right, I'm going to be, put my mom hat on and pick her up. And just even five minutes to close yes. your eyes and breathe for a second and like calm and center. Yes. So grounding. Yeah. It's really, really important. Yeah. But it's giving yourself permission to like, it's okay if I've been at work all day and I'm going to take five more minutes to yeah. myself. Yeah. Well, half an hour at yeah. the end of the day before you re-engage. And this brings us to the final part probably of what we can cover. Well, we have a little yeah. bit more time, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, which is that... Uh, the number one marker of long-term successful relationship is actually generosity. Mm. And so generosity, not as in you buy somebody a nice present, Mm -hmm. but generosity as in sometimes you give somebody something, even though it's not convenient. And that doesn't necessarily mean uh, overriding your boundaries or, um, uh, you know, I don't know how to say that, martyring yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, instead feeling beyond your momentary uh, uh, contraction into the bigger picture, which is this is a person you love, this is a person you have um, uh, intimacy with and children with. Um, so why wouldn't you try and give that person also a good experience? Yeah. Now, and instead of having this Mexican standoff of, uh, well, I'm not doing it till you are doing it. And, you know, if I can't have it, you can't have it. So yeah. the generosity of going, well, let's just see what we can give to each other for the bigger picture. Totally. And I think a, a challenge within that is that, like, it's hard to pour from an empty cup, right? So if you don't take care of yourself, it's really hard to take care of somebody else's Absolutely. needs. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, I think there's a lot of guilt that surrounds that, especially here in the States. I, I actually was in Austria in May. I lived there as an exchange student when I was younger and I go back and I have friends there and I was visiting a friend and she has a four and a two year old and she stays at home and her husband works and her four year old is in uh, school going like half days. And one day a week, her mother-in-law comes over and takes care of her two-year-old and is there for um, pickup for her four-year-old. And she has a day to herself in the middle of the week. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. And that's what I said. I was like, good for you, sis. Like, that's awesome. And she was like, well, how else would I like fill my own cup and do what I have to get done? Yeah. And I was like, oh, man, that mindset I've just never seen here in the States where we're like, well, of course I need a day with supplemental care as a stay at home parent because I need to get all these other things done. I think there's this idea of the like martyr situation. There is. And of course, right. um, Being Austrian myself, right. I can say this with, with fairly great authority. We also have a much better social support. Totally. Right. You can take a year or paid year off mm-hmm. uh, to tend to your child, which I think uh, in the long term is one of the best investments any country can do for their uh, population, right? Is that they're actually raised by their parents and not dumped at childcare at six weeks of age. Yeah. Um, well, even what that does for you personally, that her, you yeah. can be tended to. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and all of those things. But it is a very, very important uh, component and yes not everybody has the money to do all those things but you know you can switch off and you can understand that by demanding everything from everyone you're just making things worse yeah I love that so much so lastly the last question I'm gonna throw at you here uh, mm-hmm. how does your sex life ever go back to what it was like before kids Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, uh, meaning, I it, I think it's a very 
individual thing, I would say no, and why should it? Yeah. Right. And what I mean by that is there's phases in a human's life, right? Mm -hmm. And so I don't know about you, but I had a phase where all I cared about was horses. <laughs> right. I was a crazy horse girl, right? And that was all I cared about. Now, uh I've grown up and uh interestingly enough in my 40s I got myself a horse because I could <laughs> and I always wanted a horse but I'm not obsessed with horses I grew out of my horse obsession and then that of course went to the obsession for the opposite sex and you know and so on and so on so um and the same with I played with matchbox cars for a while I was really crazy about this and I had a Barbie phase and you know so um that's that was me, but that isn't me anymore. And I've learned a lot from it. And the same is true with our sex life. Our sex life has to grow. Mm -hmm. um, we can't do the crazy, excited, uh, have sex first, think later kind of stuff that you can do in your early 20s or late teens, right? Um, and you can't do the a fresh couple, everything's new, you get to know each other in between sex for the rest of your life, unless you're a serial monogamist and you dump whoever you're with every two or three years and start fresh. So your sex life has to grow and it's not going to go back to the way it was. Also anatomically, it won't go back to the way it was and feeling-wise, it won't go back to the way it was. And that's not a bad thing. Most people get way more open, way more feeling. Um, on an emotional level, the kind of bond that two people form when they've seen each other through childbirth um, and child raising and tough times and all of that, that kind of depth of emotion you can't have in the beginning of a relationship. And it will change your sex life. And even if you don't have children, your sex life will change. And I don't think that's a problem. Um, I think the important piece is that you do what you can to have it the way you want it. And that's an individual exploration that has to do with um, who does what and how uh, and, and all of that. And that can be talked about. And yeah. then there's experimentation and having fun. But it all starts with reconnecting without the pressure of immediately having uh, to have sex every time you look at each other a little bit longer. Yeah. Oh, and the kicker there was, and that can be talked about. Yes. Uh, which means we have to talk about it. Yes. <laughs> uh, which I think for a lot of this, the talking is that hard part. It's the acknowledging of the social norms that might exist or some of these preconceived notions of what this would be and their expectations. And now your expectations and all that jazz. Uh, but navigating that conversation in the same way that we navigate other conversations, but I think this one uh, has a lot of feelings attached to it. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us. Where can people follow you, connect with you, find out more, or dive in deeper? Uh, I'm assuming you will post my website. So yep. It's MichaelaBohm.com, which is spelled like Michael with an A at the end and B-O-E-H-M as in Mary. So B as in boy, O-E-H-M as in Mary. On there is um, all the workshops I do. The, my book is listed there. The book is called The Wild Woman's Way, which essentially deals with all the things that we just talked about. How do you get back in the body? How do you make time for sensuality, sexuality? There's lots of uh, practical, like there's a whole practice section where there's things you can do in two, three minutes a day, which is really important. If you don't have time to read it, I read it as well as an audio version. Um, and then there is about 80 hours of interviews and podcasts that I've done uh, and lectures and Q&As on the listen page of my website, and that's all free. So there's loads of stuff people can yeah. get into if they want to. Awesome. We will yeah. link to your website on the blog post. And thank you again. Thanks so much for sharing your time with us. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the transcript at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community over on Instagram hanging out every day with more free content? 
Come join us at seed.and.sew, S-E-W. Take a screenshot of you tuning in, share it on the gram, and tag seed.and.sew to let me know your key takeaway. If you're digging this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We love collaborating with you to raise emotionally intelligent humans. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.